you think about the various nations of the earth, the various religions of the earth, the various nationalities, the various people all over the world, we have been able to make anything that we want to make and do anything we want to do. have created miracles but it don't make sense when we can't make peace you know you made everything else wise men great men from every nation in the world all the countries in the world have all kinds of conventions and festivals Spend all the money. Suppose you had to spend half as much money on trying to make peace as you have been making war. We wouldn't have to worry about nothing. But it don't make sense. It don't make sense. It don't make sense. When you can't make peace.
Thank you. 
And good morning, mutineers. This is the bee, and it's labor, and it's love, and it's radio for sure. Welcome to the show. <clears throat> As I said, you're tuned in to Mutiny Radio. We're here at Mutiny Radio 2781 21st Street corner of Florida. And every Saturday morning, we come at you live. All our shows are archived on mutinyradio.fm slash archives. Look for the Labor and Love Show. And there's enough, in, enough of them in it. We've been doing this for quite a while. Went a little retro today. Played some songs we haven't played for a while, but used to play all the time. Willie Dixon, our favorite conscientious objector from World War II. Willie Dixon, Quincy Jones, other people like him. Willie Dixon with his peace song. You can't don't make sense if you can't make peace. It don't make sense if you can't make peace. And ain't that the truth? And that was followed by Sugar Pie DeSanto. I happened to hear a documentary this week about the life of Sugar Pie DeSanto singing Rock Me Baby. And then Emmy Lou Harris, if you listen to this show for a while, You've heard that song, all right, because it's midnight. And I got two more bottles of wine. <laughs> Tell me about it. Pity the nation. Lawrence Ferlinghetti, look around you. Pity the nation whose people are sheep and whose shepherds mislead them. Pity the nation whose leaders are liars, whose sages are silent, and whose bigots haunt the airwaves. Pity the nation that raises not its voice, except to praise conquerors and acclaim the bully as hero, and aims to rule the world by force and by torture. Pity the nation that knows no other language but its own, and no other culture but its own. Pity the nation whose breath is money and sleeps the sleep of the too well-fed. Pity the nation, oh, pity the people who allow their rights to erode and their freedoms to be washed away. My country, tears of thee, sweet land of liberty. And here's Robert Reich. Robert Reich wants to remind us that when you hear on the news that the Dow went up or the S&P went down, the richest 1% of the people in this country own half of the stock market. And the richest 10% own almost all of it. 92% of it. 
Now, when we hear Trump brag about the stock market and his minions, somebody says a quarter of a million people have died of the COVID. Well, yeah, that's true, but we're making a really robust economic recovery. How does that happen? How does that disconnect happen? How can the economy doing well and 10% of the people are out of work? Only in America, y'all. Only in America. And here's Utah Phillips. A little more about Utah later because I used a quote of his in a fundraising document. Utah says, kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns of the Northeast. Why? Because we organize. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. Those were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for. They were bled for. They were died for by working people by people like us, like you and me. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories, damn it. No root, no fruit. How about this one? When the penalty for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape, that's when you know it's a war on women. Think about it. A woman gets raped. Does she want to have that baby? Of course not. Maybe she does. Certainly we could understand if she doesn't. She goes and gets an abortion in certain states. She could be imprisoned. That's a war on women. We're saying to women, well, you're only good for one thing. You're only good for having kids. Never mind your humanity. Never mind whether you want to have the kid or not. It's your job. Okay. Okay, not okay. Here's another one from Democratic Socialists. Jesse Mimmern. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country without Social Security numbers. They aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority of them are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals, bullshit, is just 1%. The 1% telling us that our problem is other working people. Blame them. 
the fact that they're all poor instead of realizing the reason that we're all poor is due to the vast income equality and resource price inflation in combination with wage stagnation. Use your brains. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. Because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. Hello? See what else we got. We got the hidden economy. So you're not, you're just not that into politics. Now, you know, everybody knows a person or many people who just say that. Well, not into politics. You talk about something else. So you're just not that into politics. Your boss is. Landlord is. Your insurance company is. And every day they use their political power to keep your pay low raise your rent, and deny you coverage. Time to get into politics. Wake up. What else have we got here? These are credos. These are uh, things that we take for granted here on Labor and Love Radio. I'm going to look at one more. Lawrence Ferlinghetti's poem, Pity the Poor Nation. Reminds me of uh, Bob Dylan's I Pity the Poor Immigrant. See if we can grab that now. I pity the poor nation That wishes he were dead Okay. All right, let's see if we can get here. Um, Taj Mahal. How about Taj Mahal's version? I pity the poor immigrant. That man who with is a fan. 
This is an old song written by Woody Guthrie back in the Depression days. And it uh, tells a story about these the people, they call them Okies and Arkies and stuff, you know. They came from Oklahoma and, and Arkansas and, and uh, Texas and places. And the dust storm came and, and ruined their farms and, and their <clears throat> houses and everything. They had to get out. Figured they couldn't do worse. Said, so long, it's been good to know you. Moving west. They got out there. They found all these uh, border police at the California border telling them to go back. But we can't go back. Man, you can't stay here. And this little song tells about uh, what happened to him. Do re mi. Here we go. Sands they roll, get out of that old dust bowl. Think they're coming to a sugar bowl, but here's what they find. Well, the police have a port of entry, see. Boys, you're up for 14,000 for the day. Hey, and if you ain't got that dough, me, boy, you ain't got that dough.
You want to know why running on the treadmill seven days a week doesn't work for you when you're trying to lose weight? Because it never happens. And I know that's hard to believe, but it's true. Cardio actually burns calories, usually in the form of carbs in the bloodstream that are then replaced with the very next meal that you eat and stored as more fat. This is why when you even eat low calorie foods or run for an hour a day, it seems like you get softer, but you don't actually lose any weight. And Don't push me, cause I'm close to the edge. I'm 
trying not to lose my head. <laughs> it's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep them going under. It's like a jungle sometimes, it makes me wonder how I keep them going under. My brother's doing fast on my mother's TV. Says she watches too much, it's just not healthy. All my children in the daytime, Dallas at night. Can't even see the game or the Sugar Ray fight. The bill collectors, they ring my phone and scare my wife when I'm not home. Got a bum education, double-digit inflation. Can't take the train to the job, there's a strike at the station. Neon King Kong standing on my back, can't stop to turn around. Broke my sacroiliac, a mid-range migraine, cancer membrane. Sometimes I think I'm going insane, I swear I might hijack a plane. Don't push me, call, I'm close to the edge. I'm trying not to lose my head. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Said daddy, I don't want to go to school Cause the teacher's a jerk, he must think I'm a fool And all the kids smoke reefer I think it'd be cheaper if I just got a job Learn to be a street sweeper I dance to the beat, shut for my feet Wear a shirt and tie and run with the creeps Cause it's all about money, ain't a damn thing funny You got to have a con in this land of milk and honey They pushed that girl in front of the train Took her to the doctor, sold her arm on the game Stabbed that man right in his heart Gave him a transplant for a brand new start I can't walk through the park cause it's crazy after dark Keep my hand on my gun cause they got me on the run I feel like an outlaw, broke my last glass jaw Hear them say you want some more living on a seesaw Don't push me cause I'm close to the edge I'm trying not to lose my head Say what? It's like a jungle sometimes It makes me wonder how I keep them going under Grandmaster Flash there. That set. <clears throat> Grandmaster Flash with one of the seminal hip-hop uh, hip-hop songs. One of the first big ones that went national. It's like a jungle sometimes, and it certainly is. <clears throat> Ry Cooter with a Do-Re-Mi. And before that, Taj with I Pity the Poor Immigrant. This is Labor and Love Radio, where we tell you how it is. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. You don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work. You're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. Think about it. It's just a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. <coughs> look around you. We look around ourselves, look around at the nation, what's happening. 
Over a quarter of a million of us have died. A quarter of a million. Even more than that, 270,000. And that's only if we count deaths that are directly related to the COVID. If you take the number of people who normally die over a period of time and compare them to how many have died this time, the number is larger than the official COVID number. How many of those have been COVID deaths? We don't know. And we probably don't know because somebody decided they don't want us to know. Look around you. San Francisco is about to close down. This is a time for awareness, a time for courage, time for faith. Okay? Why do you keep going? You keep going because you keep going. Keep going because the forces that are arrayed against us want you to lose hope and take yourself out of the game one way or another. And don't ever, ever, ever do that. And they win. Okay, I guess that's our little talk for today. We we had um, we have Radio Labor coming up, our World Labor Report, reminding you that all over the world there are workers just like you who go out every day, if they can, and earn their bread by the sweat of their brow, as the Bible says. They're all over the world. You are not alone. You're not fighting by yourself. So let's see. Let's listen to some radio labor. Radio labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, December 4th, 2020. I'm Mark Boulanger. In a report this week, unions in Europe have won a major victory in their fight to have water and sanitation declared a human right. How unions can help skills development during the pandemic. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. This is Radio Labor. Unions in Europe have won a major victory in their fight to have water and sanitation declared a human right. There are 9 million people in the EU who do not have affordable access to potable water. 
The fight has been led by the European Federation of Public Service Unions, which operates under its acronym EPSU. To find out more about the initiative, I talked to Pablo Sanchez. Mr. Sanchez is EPSU's spokesperson. I talked to him on the day that the European Parliament addressed the issue. I asked Mr. Sanchez why the struggle to have water recognized as a human right was necessary. Well, in Europe, more than 63 million people have gained access from 2000 to 2017. That's the broad sense of Europe, so from Russia to, to Portugal. But according to the WHO, there's still 60 million people who still lack access to a basic drinking water and more than 10, 31 million who need basic sanitation. And within the European Union, the figures are 9 million still do not have access to drinking water. And, I mean, one person is too many, but 9 million is certainly a figure that is worth fighting against and for EPSO to campaign to promote the human right to water for every single citizen. 9 million people without potable water in the European Union is a lot of people. Why has this happened? Well, the statistics did ignore them for decades. And then with the 2008 economic crisis, the number of people who could not afford the rising costs of water and housing and electricity and so on, and and the fact that there was a a higher number of unemployed, meant that many joined that group of vulnerable consumers, as they like to call them in the European Union, and uh, we reached that level. That includes documented migrants, it includes minorities such as the Roma community, but includes also many thousands of citizens who basically were cut by private multinationals that operate the water services because they could not afford paying for the water bills. EPSU has been running a campaign to have access to water and sanitation recognized as a human right, and the European Parliament has taken up the issue. What is the latest news on this? Yes, today the European Parliament actually voted a resolution in the frame of a piece of legislation called the Drinking Water Directive, in which they do a direct reference to our campaign that we launched in 2012. So it's been eight years since we've been promoting and campaigning for the issue of universal access in that sense in the European Union. And although there is no a very concrete direct obligation by the different member states of the European Union in the resolution, it sets the ground for more binding targets in order to achieve universal access with a particular focus, of course, to vulnerable groups of society, which are the groups that actually don't get the basic right to drinking water. This directive only talks about drinking water. There is another one that deals with sanitation. That is, uh, let's say, a more complicated issue. But at least today what we have is a little step in the right direction by the European Parliament and in due course, this will become uh, legislation, so within a few weeks. We say that our campaigning has transformed into something concrete for those 9 million people who do not have access and for those that actually risk to lose their access, particularly in the times where the economic crisis is looming again. The need for continuous development of skills amongst workers has become even more crucial as the pandemic changes the world of work drastically. In order to better understand what labor unions can do to help this skills development, the Workers' Activities Bureau of the United Nations International Labor Organization held a global webinar. The Bureau operates under its French acronym ACTRAV. 
One of the participants in the webinar was Martin Henry. Mr. Henry is a research officer with Education International, the global union for teachers and other educators. He raised a central question about how workers will be able to develop their employment skills as the pandemic continues on. If in the time of COVID, we're talking about access via the internet and via ICT and those sorts of ways to innovative practice, how are we going to develop the whole of the world and the whole of the workers' population? There are equity issues in that that we have to resolve. And, and working in Africa, as we have been intensively over the past couple of months, those questions in the education system are huge as well, where you've had many students who've not been at school. How do we connect them back into the system of working out how to develop their skills in a broad sense and how we get them connected to a whole life of learning so that they're going to be able to continue to grow and continue to think in this way. Unions also need to be involved in shaping the needs of workers and workers shaping their understanding because it's not a one-way street. There has to be a negotiation between union management and workers on the shop floor about how those skills are changing and shifting. And they may also have requirements that are personal, that are about developing skills outside of the workplace and are connected to their communities and their ability to support and be engaged in sustainability issues, environmental issues, issues across a broader picture. We've also got to be clear that the knowledge that needs to be delivered in terms of the skills that are applicable in the workplace must be delivered by trained professionals. There are, of course, unions who are able to do that job. Now, I include unions as educators because they're trained professionals in their understanding of what the worker is experiencing and how the worker is responding. And when we talk about the barriers that have been thrown up, they're multifarious. I've already referred to the equity issue and the issue of access and internet, which must be overcome. There's also a fractured global infrastructure that must be brought together in a more cohesive way. And we've seen in the last few months, in, in very clear and no uncertain terms, that a drive away from collaboration and cooperation across countries and between people is not going to help us, either in facing COVID or in facing the challenges that skills changes are bringing to us. I think our ability to opt out of learning is disappearing. And there must be a way in which we recognize that as workers who take power in this question, that we must be central to the solution. To go back to my African colleague who said, we're not just troublemakers running round, we're actually the glue that will hold this economy together. And that's only going to happen through collaboration between all of us as unions in different areas that we're able to support each other. And as educators, we believe we've got a crucial role to play. We also believe that ILO has a crucial role to play. And we think that we should stiffen up the approach to lifelong learning by moving towards a lifelong learning guarantee. Here with his report is Labor Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Each day, Labor Start's volunteers collect hundreds of news items about the struggles of workers and their unions from around the world in 36 languages. 
Here's a small sample of their work. Our top story section included links to coverage of the developing global campaign to organize Amazon workers, the Iranian workers' rights activist who was given 74 lashes as punishment for his organizing work, and more stories about the unions fighting the dictatorship in Belarus. The emerging trends in our news coverage include shortages of personal protective equipment around the world, coinciding with shortages of healthcare workers. Since last summer, unions representing healthcare workers from Albania to Zimbabwe have been reporting that exhaustion and a lack of support have been causing skilled and dedicated workers to leave the field. Another trend this week has been a focus on the online retail sector. As noted earlier, workers at Amazon are organizing globally. But at the national level, unions are taking on not just Amazon, but all the platform employers. In Australia, the Transport Workers Union is putting intense pressure on food delivery services after the deaths of five workers in just the last couple of months. In Brazil, trade unions have exposed the use of children by unregulated food delivery apps. In Canada, the Postal Workers Union is organizing food and other delivery app workers, whilst the Commercial Workers Union has targeted Uber and other taxi service app workers. In China, delivery service drivers struck this week over low pay and the pace and intensity of their work. United Kingdom workers are threatening to join them for exactly the same reasons. Also on strike recently were workers at the main Amazon warehouse in Germany with more walkouts planned. Verdi, the workers' union, was reacting to the intensity of work in the days leading up to and following the Black Friday sales push. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news of the TikTok-based campaign against gender violence by the Building and Woodworkers Union of Myanmar, an important legal victory for domestic workers in South Africa, and a settlement in the dispute involving the militant National Women's Soccer Team Union in the United States. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards Magazine carried stories about the welcome announcement that healthcare workers in the UK will soon be receiving COVID-19 vaccinations and how and why public transport systems in Canada are placing drivers at risk of infection. Current campaigns that we are running at the request of unions around the world include an urgent appeal for online solidarity with unions in Kyrgyzstan whose organizing efforts are facing severe state repression. Look for details of this and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now here is the British labor musical group The Workers with Let's Work Together.
And that's it. International labor news you can use. You can find our features and daily newscasts at radiolabor.net. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Radio Labor, our worldwide labor report, come to you every week. And if you look around, the concerns of the world labor movement are pretty much the same as we know here. Potable water, okay? This brings me to a, a subject, I mean, as labor people. As union members, some of us, and as labor people in general who fight for the rights of working people, should we, we be bargaining for the common good? The new, well, not new, the conservative people who are pro union tell us that. It's not our business. The common good has nothing to do with our... That's not our problem. Common good has to do with their own problem. But is that true? I mean, we just... In other words, we're just dealing about workplace issues, not about lifestyle or... or life issues. Let's see what they got to say. Is it, for example, um, someone pointed out to me today that there are a lot of union members who were against the Affordable Care Act because they were afraid that, A, their own union union-based health care, they might be forced to give it up. Or it might end up calling for a whole lot more, costing them much more. So, of course, they were against it. But were they thinking of the common good? No, they weren't. It's hard. It's, it's not an easy thing to say to yourself, well, okay, I'll give up a little so that everybody else might do okay. We play a game like that with uh, kids in school called union bargaining where there's a, a whole structure of voting when... If everybody votes together, they gain a little bit. But there is the chance that if everybody else votes together and you vote for yourself, you can make a whole lot of money. And how many times do kids do that? I mean, eventually when I would play this game, eventually the kids would get it and earn a little every time. But sometimes they didn't. 
Sometimes they kept trying to screw each other. <laughs> like huh? somebody else we know. Like adults, maybe. All right, let's look at some labor notes stuff. And then I want to get into our, uh, we've got our Francesca's. We've got our labor history. Work is the reason Latinos are getting slammed so hard by the pandemic. The COVID-19 pandemic and its economic fallout have hammered the Latino community. Latinos make up 40% of COVID-19 deaths after adjusting for age. Only 19% of the population. Twice as much impacted as, as their population. Why is such a there is such a disproportionate impact? The reason is work. Latinos are highly rep overrepresented in low-wage hazardous jobs. Jessica Martinez, and essential jobs that continue to work despite the peaks in COVID. Latinos represent 18% of the working population, but 35% of the workhouse in slaughterhouses and 23% in seafood processing. 60 or 70% of Latino workers don't have the chance to do teleworking. They have to show up at the factory of the warehouse. Half of non-Latino white workers are able to telework. So you get 25 workers getting sick in the workplace, and they get 25 family members sick. Meatpacking and poultry plants have been particular hot spots outbreaks of COVID. According to the Food and Environmental Reporting Network, at least 49,000 meatpacking workers have tested positive for COVID. Companies were not providing any personal protective equipment. Social distancing was almost impossible because of the way that these plants are structured. Workers work Shoulder to shoulder. COVID intensified the damage of decades of structural and strategic racism. We are seeing the impact of long-term discriminatory practices in healthcare, employment, housing, and education. Latinos are more likely to be uninsured and undocumented. Checks sent out to individual taxpayers by the government were sent only to those who were documented. Even those who were part of married couples where one person was undocumented and deemed in ineligible. A 
check it out on Labor Notes. Now, General Motors recently opened up its Oshawa plant in Canada. Unifor President Jerry Diaz called it a home run. Unifor is a union that represents workers at the Detroit Free Auto Companies in Canada. They announced a tentative agreement with General Motors Canada on November 5th that included a $1.3 billion investment to restart the Oshawa assembly plant. GM had ended vehicle assembly there last year, eliminating the jobs of 5,000 assembly and supplier workers. Prospect of jobs returning is very welcome. What's missing from the news coverage, though, is the reality that GM is not really reopening the old plant. Instead, the new operation will be a pop-up assembly plant designed to meet the short-term need for additional production of hugely profitable pickup trucks. Companies making no long-term commitments to the workers it will hire, nor to the community where its pickups and profits will be made. In effect, GM will open a brand new plant inside the shell of the old plant with an almost entirely new workforce an inferior wage scale, fewer benefits, and no job security. So check it out. It's on Labor Notes, too. Let's see. I wanted to headline this one about how postal workers save the election. The story of mail ballots in 2020 is a story of a union postal workforce willing to go to extraordinary lengths to make sure that every vote got counted. Postal workers did this despite the deliberate holdups created by new Postmaster General Louis Delay the Mail de Joy and a workforce hit hard by the COVID. More than 65 million people voted by mail this fall, a record. And the Postal Service has been working at reduced numbers for months. As of August, 40,000 postal employees have been forced to quarantine. Roscoe Woods, president of the 480, 481 area local of the Postal Workers Union near Detroit, said the workforce he represents is down 30%. How did postal workers pull off this gargantuan feat? Most of our employees were very prideful, said Keith Combs, president of the APWU Detroit local. They were really happy they were able to complete the mission with the ballots. They want the post office to be seen in a different light and the White House had been portraying it.
All your postal workers have been under attack by the Postmaster General, the Trump employee, a Trump fundraiser, and an expert job killer from private logistics. It was only from an outcry from postal unions and the public that forced DeJoy to say on August 18th that he would postpone his service cuts till after the election. Contrary to what you might assume, DeJoy and his schemes won't automatically be swept out by a new administration. The men who hire him and could fire him are the Postal Board of Governors. Unfortunately, the six current members are mostly anti-worker and pro-privatization. There are three empty seats that Biden could fill immediately, except that the appointments must be confirmed by the Senate. One promising strategy is to pressure the existing board members who aren't used to a public spotlight. New Orleans got the ball rolling in October with a neighborhood cookout to get the crook out near the home of one postal board member. Other members are in New York City, Los Angeles, Eastern Kentucky, Palm Beach, and D.C. are those similarly inspired. We can find that story. I wanted to have a story about cutting. Here it is. Will the Supreme Court overrule farm worker union rights? David Bacon. Not long before Donald Trump's election in 2016, the Pacific Legal Foundation filed suit against California's farmworker access rule. Now, this is a rule that gives union organizers the right to come on the job, the workplace, in the morning before work begins and talk to members about forming a union or about union matters was granted in 1976 by the Ab Agriculture Labor Relations Board in California, meant to ensure that farm workers who often may be contacted only at their workplace have the opportunity to be informed with minimal interruption of working activity. Anyway, this is something that the new Supreme Court, the new Supreme Court, the conservative Supreme Court might strike down. Federal government has excluded farm workers from all labor law protections under the National Labor Relations Act for 85 years, charges UF General, UFW General Counsel Mario Martinez. 
In light of this racially discriminatory exclusion, California granted to agriculture workers important labor protections to balance the historical imbalance of power between farm workers and growers. The court review of California's legislation appears to be another attempt to fair unfairly discriminate. The U.S. Supreme Court plans to hear arguments in the case early next year and will probably rule by July. Okay. Still haven't done labor beat, huh? Labor beat, labor history, still coming up. Uh, let's see, wanted to play something by Etta James. Etta James, by the way, the cousin of Sugar Pie DeSantis. Found that out. Retro today, playing some of our old stuff.
Where's the announcer, man? Ladies and gentlemen, John hey, Mayo. I'll say it again, John ah. Mayo. That's right. Um, a little more light over here so you can see who's here. That's it. No, no, that's, that's better. Yeah. Over here on my left, uh, Johnny Armand on tenor, alto, and flutes. And sitting down playing acoustic fingerstyle guitar, John Mark. <laughs> Bass, Stephen Thompson. 
seems to be the fashion to say you're right and they are wrong. It seems to be the fashion to say you're right and they are wrong. You gotta see both sides.
Speaking of Lenny Bruce. If I were the president, you could walk on the street at any time. If I had to bring 30,000 troops and put one every 30 feet with a two-foot bayonet on the end of a rifle, I'd give my strong moral support to local law enforcement and say, you, you, uh, obey, you, you, you uh, enforce the law. Hey, wait a minute. Law enforcement. Okay. Now you put the sign up in the wall and you're wanted law enforcement. Guys apply for the job. Look, here's our problem. See, we're trying to get some sleep and people keep throwing crap on us. Now we want somebody to throw them right in a crap house. And I'm delegated to do the hiring here. And uh, so here's what the job is, you see. They, they won't go in the crap house by themselves. And we all agreed on the rule now. And we firmed it up, so there's nobody gets out of it. Everybody's vulnerable. They go through right in the crap house. But you see, I can't do it because I do business with these assholes. <laughs> and it looks bad for me, you know. Uh, so I want somebody to do it for me, you know. So I tell you what, here's a stick and a gun, and you do it. But wait till I'm out of the room. And whenever it happens, see, I'll wait back here and I'll watch, you know. And you make sure you kick him in the ass and throw him in there. Now, you'll hear me say a lot of times that it takes a certain kind of mentality to do that work, you know, and all that bullshit, you know. But uh, you understand it's all horseshit and you just kick him in the ass and make sure it's done. Demonstration is a tool and a product of a communist effort to defeat the United States in Vietnam. The people are demonstrating, uh, not against Vietnam, they're demonstrating against the police department. Actually against policemen, because they have that concept of, uh, of the law, that the law and the law enforcement are one. Now comes the riot, or the marches. There is wailing and blah, 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 blah. Now you got a cop there who's standing with a short sleeve shirt on and a stick in his hand. And the people yelling Gestapo at him. Gestapo, you asshole, I'm the mailman. <laughs> Gestapo. 
This group has given so much aid and support to North Vietnam, uh, should be branded, maybe painting them yellow. Half of them hotbed, dirty, filthy, unproductive individuals. The hate mongers, the demonstrators, the no good crowd who would burn America down. <laughs> we'll burn all the churches, that's what we're planning, yes. John Mayall mentioned <clears throat> Lenny Bruce. That was John Mayall with The Laws Must Change. Before that, we jumped back into Etta James. You gotta serve somebody. You gotta serve somebody. Who's it gonna be? Is it gonna be capital? Or is it gonna be labor? Okay, let's get into our labor history area now. Labor card number two. We started off the labor card series with Francisco Mendez, Chico Mendez, and his work in the Brazilian jungle, realizing that ecology and labor are one. Okay, if you don't have rubber trees, if you cut down all the rubber trees, you don't have any work. Number two, labor card number two is Lucy Parsons. Lucy Parsons is unique even in this collection of labor cards. Lucy Parsons was born, it's not exactly clear when she was born, but 1853 is the date given. <coughs> born into slavery after the Civil War, she married a white uh, Southerner, Albert, Alfred Parsons, and they moved to Chicago. You can imagine how in Texas <laughs> she and Parsons were uh, greeted, an interracial couple. 1871, they went to Chicago and joined the fight for the eight-hour day. In 1886, after the famous Haymarket, quote-unquote, riots, Alfred Parsons, her husband, was arrested. He was one of the original Chicago Eight. And Parsons was an anarchist. He was executed. And Lucy became a leader of the movement for collective bargaining, the 40-hour week, equal pay for women, 
She became a much sought after public speaker and traveled all around the country giving speeches saying things like this. The strike of the future is to remain in and take possession of the necessary property of production. And in 1937, workers in Detroit did exactly that. They sat in on their jobs. Instead of leaving the job and picketing outside, they sat in and occupied their job. Parsons had differences with people like Emma Goldman. Um, as far as feminism was concerned, the Chicago Police Department said that Lucy Parsons was more dangerous than a thousand rioters, part Native American, African American, and Mexican. Ms. Parsons always kept it kind of a mystery what her lineage was. All right, let's listen to labor history in two. First one is about striking solidarity. The year is 1944. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1944. That was the day that seven employees at Detroit's Dodge truck plant stopped working to protest the firing of a union brother. When five of the seven were fired for the stoppage, it sparked a wildcat strike. Another 320 workers downed their tools and left the plant. It was World War II. The Dodge truck plant had been converted into wartime production. Workers there built heavy trucks to ship to allies in China. The unions had signed on to a no-strike pledge after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt demanded labor peace to aid the war effort. Leaders of the AFL and CIO agreed to no-strike, no-lockout clauses. The CIO went even further and agreed to give up overtime pay. Most union members were not consulted on the pledge and did not vote on it. When they learned about the pledge after the fact, many workers who had just come off victorious organizing drives were in no mood to make concessions. They witnessed surging wartime profits for their employers and no cap on executive salaries while they had to deal with wage freezes and rising inflation. Many were confronted with increasingly unsafe working conditions violations of newly won contracts, and arbitrary discipline and firings. Despite the no-strike pledge, wildcat strikes were common. During the war, there were over 14,000 strikes involving more than 6 million workers. In 1944 alone, when the workers walked out at the Detroit Dodge truck plant, there had been more strikes in auto plants than at any other time in the auto industry's history. Workers found that short, spontaneous walkouts quickly resolved their grievances, regardless of the no-strike pledge. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and the Rick Smith Show. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. 
this day in labor history, the year was 1833. That was the day that prominent abolitionists convened in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to found the American Anti-Slavery Society. They drew up a constitution demanding an immediate end to slavery. They also demanded full civil rights for people of color. These activists distinguished themselves from the American Colonization Society, which advocated repatriation of free blacks to Liberia. Coming off the heels of the Nat Turner Rebellion in 1831, much of the society's work consisted of organizing petitions, meetings, and lecture tours. These activities emphasized slavery's brutality and inhumanity and its immoral nature. They also printed and distributed anti-slavery literature like the National Anti-Slavery Standard newspaper. The society claimed 250,000 members by 1840. They formed 2,000 local chapters and published 20 journals. Founders included prominent abolitionists like William Lloyd Garrison, Arthur and Lewis Tappan, Theodore Weld, and many Quakers and free blacks. Fiery orators like Frederick Douglass and the Grimke sisters soon emerged as key leaders. These anti-slavery fighters endured mob violence, including riots and even murder, like that of Elijah Lovejoy in 1837. The society split in 1840. Garrison condemned the U.S. Constitution for its denial of freedom to African Americans. He and his supporters pushed for secession from the South if they would not abolish slavery. They also promoted women into leadership positions. More conservative elements considered this too radical. They split to form the American and foreign anti-slavery society. Despite this, the abolitionist movement grew exponentially. Anti-slavery ideas gained traction in new political parties. That'll do it for this edition of Labor and Love Radio. Thank you for joining us. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're on the menu. And never, but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. It's only a waste of time. Just a waste of time. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. See you next week, same time, same shift. Stay strong. All they want us to do is lose hope. Stay strong. Keep hoping. Keep working. Keep organizing. And please, wear a mask.
Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of Mutiny Radio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. Mutiny Radio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-faced McRat. <laughs> As the world gets wackier and less predictable in every way, it is more important than ever for us to all remember our roots. We wouldn't be here today if our ancestors hadn't had the capacity and the skills to take care of themselves and their communities using the resources in the natural world around them and their own two hands. My name is Wonia Tebow of Buckskin Revolution and Alone Season 6, and I started Buckskin Revolution not just to empower people with a wider range of skills to meet their basic needs, but also to inspire them with a sense of fulfillment and connection that comes with living a little closer to the earth and using our bodies, our minds, and our very DNA for what they evolved to do, to help us thrive without the need for modern technology and industry. If that sounds appealing to you, I hope you'll join me for the Fall 2020 Buckskin Revolution Online Skills Gathering, an eight-week learning experience designed to work within any schedule. It involves pre-recorded classes, live interactive sessions, and online community learning support from both myself and your fellow students. The need for these skills has never been more pressing, and Buckskin Revolution is working hard to bring them to you. I hope you can join us. Get connected with yourself and the world around you at buckskinrevolution.com. Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be, like, in front of an audience, like, other than, like, squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shoot. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things, dude, before they tell you how to get improvements. No way. What is this dang nabbit thing called? It's Joke Workshop. Joke Workshop? Yep, every Monday, 6 to 8 p.m. on the Mutant Radius. So you're saying I could tell my jokes every Monday from 6 to 8? That's what I'm saying. It's the Joke Workshop Mondays, 6 to 8 p.m. at the Mutant Radius. Yahoo! Hey, you, poetry reader. This is Bjork's sister, Mjork. It's okay. We also have a show and a weekly poetry reading on Mutiny Radio's AltaCast, zoomed every Wednesday at high noon from Glasgow, Scotland. One of our co-hosts from Choose Poetry, Choose Life, Andy Talbot, has a new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, which is available at analogsubmission.com now. Go buy it. 
and don't let the poets lie to you. Once again, that's Andy Talbot's new poetry chapbook, Old Wounds, New Skin, available at analogsubmission.com. I'm Michael Spiegelman. And I am Carl, not Spiegelman. Join us every Sunday, 2 to 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on MutinyRadio.fm for Let's Watch a Full-Length Movie on YouTube. We watch the best movies that, uh, aren't they good? Well, they're chosen by uh, Here's you. his theme song again. Bye. Okay, bye. Watch San Francisco, what are you doing this week? Come join Mutiny Radio Presents for four different comedy shows supporting local businesses in the Mission District and beyond. On Sunday, join us in the Tenderloin at Resolute Wine Bar, 678 Geary, for Barrel of Laughs at Resolute, an amazing comedy show with the best wines curated by Resolute. On Wednesdays, join us at Asiento. At and 21st and Bryant for dinner and a show at Asiento. Delicious tapas, incredible drinks, hilarious comedy Wednesday nights at 7.30. On Fridays at 7 o'clock, join us outside MutinyRadio.fm here at 21st and Florida, 7 o'clock for outdoor comedy, socially distanced in the street. And Saturdays, join us at Atlas Cafe SF at 20th in Alabama for Titans of Comedy every Saturday at 2 o'clock. Hey, keep supporting local businesses and comedy here in San Francisco with your friends at Mutiny Radio. The Ministry of Lava manages our national lava resources to ensure that we will always have a steady supply of lava to operate the nation's active volcanoes which in turn power our cities and methamphetamine labs. As a matter of national security, we need to reduce our dependence on foreign lava, which means an expansion of domestic lava drilling. As your chancellor, I will build lava wells all over the country, as well as secure access to more lava fields by invading Hawaii. Imagine orange gold spurting out from school playgrounds on the Great Plains and illuminating the Nebraska sky like fireworks on the 4th of July. Magma oozing over the rolling hills of Kentucky. Volcanic ash settling gently over homes in New England like fresh gray snow. If you want global lava markets to continue to be dominated by terriblest regimes like Iceland, Chile, and the Philippines, vote for my opponent, who sits in their back pocket as comfortably as Pahoehoe on the slopes of Kilauea. If you want the United States to stay competitive in the era of peak lava and beyond, then take a chance on the Chancellor.
Are you looking for local handcrafted leather goods? Look no further than Skin on Skins, a local mission a leather working shop. All original pieces handcrafted for you. Jackets, belts, purses, jewelry, everything made out of leather. You need your bicycle seat fixed? You want it in cool leather? Under can do it. You have a motorcycle that you want to fit out with side bags and cool stuff talk to under go to skinonskins.com that's s-k-i-n-o-n-s-k-i-n-s.com you just went to Folsom Street Fair and you don't have enough leather go see under everything is handcrafted and understated quality fine leather handcrafted goods for all of your needs he also does fixes maybe you love that jacket he'll put the zipper back in Talk to Under at SkinOnSkins.com at 20th and Mission. Check them out at SkinOnSkins.com. My name is Breakfast, and I'm running for Chancellor of the United States of America. For too long, we have gone without a Chancellor who is willing to take bold leaps of faith and logic to create new possibilities for our great, big, fat nation. As your Chancellor, I will balance the budget on the head of a pin, give entertaining speeches, have scandalous affairs, Write strongly worded letters to unpopular foreign leaders. Look good on camera. End all hunger, crime, abuse, war, disease, disasters, sadness, depression, oppression, repression, suppression, transgression, obsession, expression, impression, regression, and digression by signing pieces of paper that express my disapproval of such things. And invest in an American flag pin to 